This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Hello and welcome to the Lung Science Podcast. My name is Nikki Ubachs and I'm a senior scientist in the Division of Respiratory Medicine at the University Hospital in Lausanne, Switzerland. And with me to discuss the challenges and opportunities in the area of obesity and lung disease is Dr. Benjamin Surratt, who has worked as a pulmonary and critical care physician and researcher for the past 20 years and has recently transitioned to early drug development at Sanofi, where he is a director in the immunology and inflammation program. Welcome and thank you for joining me today. Um, so over the last four decades, we know that the global prevalence of obesity has increased drastically among children, adolescents, and adults. And um, we're probably all aware of the significant associations between obesity and several chronic diseases, such as cardiovascular and gastrointestinal diseases, as well as um, type 2 diabetes. However, most clinicians and researchers in respiratory medicine are just beginning to appreciate the impact of obesity on the development and the course of um, lung disease, which is the topic of today's podcast. And so, um, uh, Ben, I wanted to start with asking you, uh, what stemmed your interest in um, studying the impact of obesity uh, and metabolic diseases on lung inflammation? Yeah, so uh, that's an interesting question. Um, I'd love to give you a uh, purely scientific answer, but uh, to be honest, uh, my interest in this area started as a uh, throwaway um, in as much as uh, when I was at the University of Vermont, um, there were a number of researchers who were interested in obesity and asthma, most prominently uh, Ann Dixon, who published some of the seminal work looking at the effects of obesity on uh, the incidence behavior of, of asthma um, with uh, a Blue Journal paper that looked at, um, well, actually, I think it was Jackie paper and then a Blue Journal paper um, that looked at the effects of bariatric surgery uh, on asthma. Uh, and as uh, part of a discussion that uh, several of us were having, this was back in, I believe, 2009, uh, I made the throwaway comment that we should look at uh, the correlation between BMI and, and outcomes uh, in ARDS, specifically in the uh, ARMA and alveoli studies, because we had access to those databases, thinking at the time that, of course, obesity would be associated with worse outcomes because we know that obesity is associated with higher baseline levels of inflammatory cytokines. Uh, and so we figured we would uh, get a quick one-off paper um, and, and had no interest uh, at the time beyond that. As we got into it, uh, Renee Stapleton and I discovered that, in fact, the correlation between BMI uh, and outcomes in ARDS uh, actually is the inverse of what we expected. In fact, mortality uh, was reduced uh, as BMI went up. And underlying that, we found that uh, many of the cytokines that are typically associated with ARDS pathogenesis and, in fact, have been validated as uh, predictive of outcome uh, in, subsequently in ARDS, such as IL-6 and IL-8, uh, in fact, also are reduced in ARDS as BMI goes up, which was very counterintuitive at the time. And after spending a fair amount of time trying to get that published, um, and eventually did appear in CHEST in 2010, 
it was a it was such an interesting outcome that we really uh, decided uh, to pursue it further. Renee in the clinical realm uh, primarily, and 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 I uh, uh, at the bench. Um, so I began looking uh, at animal models of obesity uh, and uh, initially at least uh, the impact of ARDS uh, and and how that combined model influenced the pathogenesis of that disease. And after that, it, it kind of went from there and expanded into a variety of areas, much of which you know as you uh, spent several years as a graduate student in my lab. Okay, well, thank you very much um, for, for introducing us into um, uh, how, how you got involved into this field. And as you mentioned, I myself actually um, um, started working in your lab and that's how my interest was uh, spurred into this topic. Um, so, so if we, we think about obesity and lung disease, I think there's one topic that we cannot pass at this moment because more and more evidence is, is coming out suggesting that obesity is a risk factor for severe um, uh, coronavirus infection and or severe COVID-19 disease. So what do you think and what's your feeling about this based on also the literature that, that is out there right now? Um, or really that uh, is obesity per se or metabolic disease itself, uh, like uh, diabetes, dyslipidemia, uh, more the driver of, of this uh, increased severity or increased risk uh, in these patients? The answer is yes. Um, in other words, all of these things are true. Um, and I, I, I would be uh, remiss if I said we really understood the relationship here, uh, even uh, despite a uh, number of years now looking specifically at the outcomes of, uh, of subjects with obesity uh, in the setting of, in particular, uh, viral pneumonia. Um, you know, people, uh, I think, have, have somewhat forgotten to some degree uh, that uh, we saw a, a very similar phenomenon with uh, H1N1 in 2009 and 2010. Um, and many of the relationships that we're seeing now between BMI and COVID risk of severity and outcome uh, actually were seen during the H1, the original H1N1 uh, uh, epidemic. Uh, and so while I do not think that these, that flu A and, and this uh, uh, coronavirus are comparable in many regards, I think that uh, the findings that we're seeing with obesity are, are not necessarily entirely specific to the COVID uh, or to, to the coronavirus itself. Um, I. There are a number of studies that have come out, um, and just as, as came out for the H1N1 virus, uh, that show that indeed BMI, uh, as it goes up, correlates with an increased risk of uh, infection, an increased risk of hospitalization with COVID, an increased risk of uh, moving to the ICU, uh, an increased risk of ending up on mechanical ventilation, and in fact, an increased risk of death. Um, and a similar, similar associations were seen for H1N1. Um, What's interesting uh, about COVID uh, in many ways is the fact that, that we are seeing it so much more obviously, I suppose, uh, at this point. I mean, some of that has to do certainly with just the change in, in demographics uh, in, in the United States and in, and in other countries. Um, obesity uh, in 2010 in the U.S. was only about 36%, um, and now it is is 42, probably closer to 45% now, which 
at least a, a, a 20, 25% increase. Uh, and when you look at severe obesity or, or those who are over a BMI of 40, it was only around 6% in 2010, and now it's closer to 10. Um, and so I think just by the, the demographics alone, we, we expect to see um, quite an increase. Um, so what does that mean is the relationship of, of obesity versus metabolic syndrome and, and elements thereof? This is, a, again, a great question. One of the things that I think has been very clearly called out by COVID uh, is that there is a strong association between diabetes um, and COVID severity uh, and also hypertension, um, which is interesting because I don't think we've seen that same kind of correlation, particularly with hypertension um, in, in, for instance, H1N1. Um, and yet, in studies that have controlled for the incidence of diabetes and hypertension, we still see a correlation with BMI. Um, now, the other day you were mentioning to me that, uh, that some of these studies have also shown a male preponderance to uh, particular mortality uh, with uh, uh, COVID. Um, and, and the interrelationship between that and BMI, you were remarking on the other day. Yeah, so, so indeed the, um, uh, the part where, where we look at the uh, fat distribution um, uh, in, in, in the, the, the patients uh, with coronavirus uh, infection uh, seemed to, um, so increased visceral fat uh, seemed to be linked to uh, indeed an uh, increased uh, ICU uh, admission and uh, severity of disease. However, these, these studies are still quite um, limited, at least to, 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 to what uh, we have seen right now. The, the, the sample sizes are very small. And um, at this point, it's hard to, to draw a, a very strong conclusion from that. Although I really do think that it's something to, um, to keep an eye on, especially since we know that visceral adipose tissue is uh, often seen as more pro-inflammatory, which could, could help uh, or, or kind of be a contributor to this disease severity. Um, uh, the studies that are out there right now show that there's a, a strong link also with, with age um, in that respect. So we really do need uh, uh, larger studies with larger sample size to be able to, to dis disentangle these specific effects. Okay. Indeed, indeed. I, I think that uh, one thing we, we need to keep in mind is that BMI alone is, first of all, a, a relatively poor uh, way of capturing adiposity, um, even, even in, in absolute uh, quantity, um, if, given the differences in body composition between men and women. Uh, and certainly the distribution of adiposity uh, makes a huge difference, not only uh, in terms of the metabolism, metabolism and, and potentially inflammatory effects of it, um, but in the case of, of the ICU, uh, may make a difference in terms of uh, biomechanics. And I think one of the reasons that we certainly have seen an increased incidence of uh, ICU admission and subsequent uh, intubation mechanical ventilation with obesity uh, has probably little to do with COVID in some regards in as much as we've long known that there is an increased risk, the risk of respiratory failure associated with uh, elevated BMI. Um, and this may uh, in part be due to the fact that uh, particularly in morbidly obese individuals, 
uh, patients breathe right at the closing volume uh, when they are tidally breathing. Um, so in other words, FRC is pushed down to the point where there's very little space between uh, the residual volume and uh, uh, FRC. So you approach the, the actual uh, closure of the airways um, at the low end, uh, that in the recumbent position in particular uh, with uh, uh, adiposity in the abdomen, uh, really makes you prone to having respiratory failure. Um, and this is something that we see in all comers uh, in the ICU, uh, regardless uh, of the insult. Um, you know, it, there are certainly uh, influences of, of obesity on the immune system, and that's the complicated part in this. Uh, we, we think that, uh, that there is an exaggerated inflammatory uh, milieu associated with obesity in the case of COVID and, and, and also in the case of H1N1, which is interesting in as much as, uh, you know, our work uh, and your work has shown that obesity overall is associated with attenuation of some elements of, of the inflammatory response. And perhaps in the case of lung injury, um, kind of an, an uh, increased rate of resolution. Um, mm -hmm. So what's, what's interesting uh, in, in opposition to COVID and H1N1 really with, with ICU patients is that obesity in general has been very well established as leading to improved outcomes uh, in the ICU. Uh, there's a higher risk of, of developing ARDS, but there are multiple studies showing that there are improved outcomes from ARDS compared to leans. Uh, in the obese. And yet, uh, you know, and, and, and I should say we, uh, as of others, have attached that to um, an impairment of the inflammatory response in the acute setting. If you compare that to what we see with COVID and H1N1 in its turn, um, it's not clear how this works. There are a number of, uh, of studies that have shown that uh, in terms of the increased risk of ARDS, um, there is underlying endothelial injury in the pulmonary vasculature and that this may in fact prime uh, the system for injury um, and add to that the fact that we know that there are at baseline elevated levels of, of multiple cytokines that are inflammatory uh, and the fact that the uh, neutrophil content in the blood is increased uh, as BMI goes up and the fact that perhaps neutrophil function is impaired to some degree um, and that uh, resolution in a sterile injury uh, is accelerated, uh, the, the initial insult is enough to tip people over, particularly given the biomechanics. And so I think that's part of what we're seeing. Now, what happens with COVID thereafter um, is something that needs to be understood better. Clearly, it is not simply a hyper-inflammatory response um, that we would classically think of. And, and almost certainly has to include some element of impairment of handling uh, of the virus. Um. Yeah. yeah, I think, I think the, the, the other interesting thing is, and, and you, you briefly mentioned that the, the at-risk groups are actually quite similar between the H1N1 pandemic and um, uh, coronavirus infected people. And so um, in, in our previous work, we showed that it was not just obesity, but also hyperleptinemia, so increased levels of um, satiety hormone, adipokine leptin, um, that um, that was could be potentially driving some some uh, effects that we see in obesity, such as impaired immune responses and 
increased um, uh, bacterial uh, or severity of bacterial infections, for example. So um, uh, how, do, how do you see that in light of, of the, the coronavirus uh, pandemic and, and patients that, that have this? Do you, really, do you think there might be a role for hyperleptinemia in, in that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, before that JCI Insight paper of yours, uh, I, I think I mostly thought of leptin as simply a better biomarker of what it is to, be a, uh, to have adiposity, particularly the bad kind of adiposity. Um, but, uh, you know, in your work, you were able to recapitulate a hyperleptinemic state in, in lean mice um, and show that that itself led to in entirely the same signals that we were seeing in mouse models of obesity. And so that argues strongly that there is something specific to leptin and its behavior um, related to the immune system. We know that leptin uh, acutely acts as a, as a stimulant to most immune cells. Um, we also know that in the setting of obesity, we see uh, limitations, we see dysfunction uh, in, again, most immune cells. And so the theory certainly would be, I think, safely, uh, that prolonged exposure to high levels of leptin uh, really predisposes the immune system to some degree of dysfunction. And uh, as part of, of another paper you published um, in the Red Journal, uh, looking at uh, the behavior of the immune system in the lung uh, in different mouse models of obesity, I think that, that that point was very well made. Yeah, no, no, I totally agree because there we, uh, and we will touch upon that in a, in a bit as well, but there we indeed saw that um, whether a mouse was leptin deficient or um, uh, had a receptor deficient, leptin receptor deficiency, um, uh, which leads to obviously different levels of leptin, but also different um, 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 signaling cascades that are being activated. Uh, versus a uh, diet-induced obesity model where there is no um, de no such defect uh, uh, besides potentially leptin resistance um, in, in leptin signaling, we saw very differing um, effects. So uh, just like we see with, with some of the other uh, metabolic markers uh, that we will uh, we'll talk ab about in a little bit. Um, so so to, to kind of wrap up this part, um, so Given the increasing uh, evidence that obesity is a risk factor for viral infections, such as um, the novel coronavirus, uh, the H1N1, um, where should we put our efforts when we study obesity and lung inflammation in this context? It, where is there room for opportunity to, to continue? And what are the fields that we really need to focus on? And I, I, with that, maybe you can also briefly comment on um, something that is, I think, quite important right now. We know that uh, obese people might have um, an altered response to vaccination, maybe not directly, but over time, their um, antibodies, uh, for example, their flu-specific antibodies may um, actually decrease faster. So is it this, you know, something that really needs to be taken into consideration also when setting up clinical studies? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that uh, there are a lot of implications uh, for the interaction between obesity and COVID, um, not the least of which is that um, we know that, uh, that, that from, our, from, from our work and the work of others, we, we strongly suspect that um, obese individuals are more susceptible to viral pneumonia, particularly COVID. 
Um, and this may stem from a variety of things, but, uh, including immune dysfunction, uh, lower levels of surfactant proteins. That's been shown both for what we showed with, uh, with um, uh, Julie Ledford's group that SPA, for instance, is lower in the lungs uh, of obese individuals. Um, and I think that even though there's no direct measurement, there's very strong evidence that SPD is also lower with obesity. Um, and so they're given immune dysfunction like that. I think that this would be a setting where you'd want to start something like remdesivir early, for instance. Um, I think when it comes to how we take care of these patients in the ICU, their implications, I think we, we know that they're more likely to be intubated. We also, there are some papers out there now that suggest that they have the, um, the specific um, H phenotype uh, of mechanical ventilation and ARDS, the, the, the poor recruitment. Um, and so I think we need to assume that we're going to need to treat them with higher levels of PEEP, for instance. Um, and then I think even more importantly is what you just alluded to, which is the resistance um, of obese individuals to vaccination. I don't mean that in terms of their personal preference, um, but in terms of their response to the vaccine, uh, Melinda Beck, among others, has shown pretty convincingly that there is impairment in the T-cell response to vaccination and obesity. Um, and I think we need to, we talk about our uh, at-risk groups that we need to vaccinate. That's, a, that's a, a real problem because I would say we should definitely vaccinate the obese before we uh, vaccinate other groups. Um, but just like in the elderly, we wonder if it's going to be efficacious. Um, so, uh, you know, I think as, as we work through this, we're going to need to use it both uh, proactively in treating these patients, but also I think pay a lot of attention to it in terms of how we can overcome these different uh, deficits that we associate with obesity uh, in, in, in really trying to care for them uh, in, a, in a disease now that is really uh, uh, running rampant. Okay, well, thank you very much. I think it's, uh, it's good that we have talked a little bit now also about what are the opportunities for, for further research in this area. Um, uh, and, and coming from that, I think it's, it's, it's time that we talk a bit about the challenges that come with doing this research because as with every, um, uh, every, every model or every disease you're trying to model, there's obviously a lot of challenges. And with obesity specifically, since it's such a um, complex disease targeting multiple different organ systems. Um, so when, when you think about obesity modeling and, um, and, and looking at lung disease, where do you see the, the biggest challenges? And, and do you want to briefly go through that? Sure. Um, well, I, you know, I, I wrote a perspectives piece for the Red Journal that actually accompanied one of your papers in the Red Journal. Um, and the thesis behind it really uh, was that when we model obesity, it's incredibly important that we understand exactly what we're modeling um, and what we're not modeling um, and the limitations of those models. One of the things that has been demonstrated time and again is that what we call obesity matters. So if we say that a mouse model like the DBDB mouse model is a model of obesity, yes, those mice are obese, but they also have a genetic deficit in a very important receptor that has implications all of its own. Um, that model is also a model of diabetes, and hence the name DB. That model is also a model of dyslipidemia. Um, and so there are papers over the years that have said DB mice have shown the role of leptin uh, in lung injury. And while that may be true, 
you cannot divorce that from the other metabolic uh, aspects that are modeled in that. Um, so the penetrance of all the different elements of metabolic syndrome is incredibly important when you do modeling. It's just as important when you look at people. So whether the models become diabetic, whether they become dyslipidemic, um, you know, the timing, the influence of, of diet and other factors um, is something that really has to be understood and clearly communicated when you when you are working in these models and publishing in these models. Um, the genetic models are great for what they are. Um, first of all, they, they are become rapidly obese, um, which makes for uh, uh, much quicker studies and frankly cheaper studies. Um, the diet models uh, are uh, perhaps more relevant to human obesity, um, but at the same time, they have their own limitations, um, and particularly as you look at the different strains of mice. Uh, as an example, um, we published uh, several papers that looked at uh, diet-induced obesity in black six mice um, from uh, uh, Harlan, um, and it turns out that Harlan and Jacks actually just the, just the the, the vendor. Um, there's been enough drift in those mice that the effects of obesity and then subsequent lung injury are different uh, in those two models. Uh, and uh, and Ross Summer published a, a really interesting paper um, uh, right around the time we were publishing that showed that uh, you had different effects uh, on, uh, based on background um, and its relative sensitivity or susceptibility, I should say, to diabetes, where uh, backgrounds that are more likely to develop a, a, a diabetes uh, on high-fat diet actually have a different inflammatory response in their lungs, such that those with diabetes actually have an attenuated response, and those that don't have any diabetic component uh, appear to have an exaggerated inflammatory response. A lot of this comes back to, I think, a baseline uh, activation of the endothelium in the lung um, and then the concomitant effects of diabetes, such that every element of, of uh, the metabolic syndrome kind of pushes or pulls on the uh, overall, uh, uh, well, a word that, that uh, or a phrase that Jason Bates has always used, the, uh, um, the uh, inflammatory twitch. Um, and so these different uh, pieces of, of metabolic syndrome each affect the contour over time. Um, and so there are a lot of studies out there that appear to be contradictory. Um, but I think if you are able to look at them in the context uh, of the model, they're not all that contradictory. What do you, I mean, one of the things that we, we worried about a lot and you subsequently went on to spend a lot of time looking at um, is the microbiome. Um, and so we know that the microbiome uh, differs um, in many regards uh, based on what we feed the mice. Um, so what, what, do you, what do you know about that? Of course, the microbiome is going to, to, to be tremendously important in, in these models, especially the ones where you have uh, diet-induced um, obesity or whether it's any kind of diet that induces, for example, uh, dyslipidemia, things like that. Um, so we know that in, for example, the gut microbiome changes upon high fat diet intake or, for example, low fiber diet intake uh, with uh, an increase in the Firmicutes to Bacteroidetes ratio. Um, and, um, for example, if you, you, you counteract that with a diet, for example, rich in fiber, which um, is considered a more healthy diet, you can basically reverse that. Um, so we know, in, in, in light of 
that part, so the microbiome, I think it's also really important to consider the interorgan uh, or intercompartment crosstalk because you obviously now we have described the gut-lung axis and we know that changes in the um, gut microbiome can lead to alterations in bacterial metabolites that are being produced, such as short-chain fatty acids, which can then go on to affect uh, hematopoiesis. So then you have the gut and the bone marrow already involved, which then affects, um, for example, the responses to allergic area inflammation, but also to flu uh, infection, the outcomes of flu infection and the severity of that. So there's really, then you already have multiple compartments involved. And that's also something that, um, especially with a complex disease as obesity, we really should move towards um, trying to piece these things apart, but also put them back together. Because in the end, it's, uh, it's all within the same um, uh, uh, animal or a, a human being. So we need to understand how they um, interact with each other and uh, they can actually um, affect the immune responses and our outcomes of lung disease. Uh, so um, as long as we, we can you know, focus on that, it's very challenging, but it's, it's going to be very important to move the field forward. Well, and you take, you take all that and you put it together with the genetic variables uh, in the mice, the effects of the diet, the microbiome, um, and then roll together with the fact that uh, the biomechanics of a mouse is nothing like that of a human, um, particularly when you look at the mouse in the recumbent position. Um, and I think that your model is as good as you understand your model. Um, I think if you if you are asking a very specific question and you know how to interpret what you're getting back, I think the mouse models are perfectly fine for this, but I think you need to really be aware, as I said, the caveat is understanding the limitations of your model. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also once we make the back translation to the, to the human situation, we also shouldn't um, just look at the lung, make sure to, where possible, to also look at other compartments and, and, and understand those, because I think we have had enough descriptive studies so far, but we really need to, to start understanding the mechanisms uh, in more depth. Um, so yeah, that basically also so answers a bit of the question, can we really model human obesity and lung disease in the available models, right? So it is we can model aspects of the disease and we just need to be very cautious about how we interpret them and how we do the translation back to the human situation. Yep. Well, what do you think the long-term effects of obesity are? And, and, and you know, sh should we be looking at, 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 uh, at the, the long-term effects, uh, say cross-generationally, or, um, you know, if you lose weight, do you modify factors? What, what do you think about that? Well, I think it's a, it's a very good point. And um, just to start with, with the part where we, we, we um, uh, what we know about obesity is a modifiable factor and um, how weight loss, so diet-induced weight loss or weight loss um, uh, due to bariatric surgery can affect, um, uh, for example, the immune priming that, that is seen in obesity. Um, we know that... Um, the microbiome actually changes, uh, to come back to that, the gut microbiome changes uh, back to a more lean state in people who have had uh, diet-induced weight loss or bari bariatric surgery. Um, and 
and um, in some studies, uh, for example, bariatric surgery has shown in, in people with uh, obese people with asthma, it has been shown that there's decreased airway um, uh, responsiveness and bronchial inflammation and does decrease in asthma severity in, in those asthmatics, um, but also a decrease in um, uh, adipose tissue inflammation and macrophages that are, uh, for example, more M1 in the obese situation, they become again more M2, so anti-inflammatory uh, following bariatric surgery. So there seems to be the potential to have a reversing of the immune priming. However, there's really not that many studies um, out there yet uh, that, that, that look into this. So um, there's some more work needed, but the, the first uh, work looks promising. And then when you look at some of the uh, mouse or the animal studies on this, um, one of the studies done by uh, Matt Pointer, uh, published in the Red Journal a couple of years ago, showed that if mice have a diet-induced weight loss, um, their gut microbiome as well changes back to a more lean phenotype. And they also found lower airway uh, reactivity in these mice. But um, so uh, a mechanistic link between those two still needs to be established, but at least there, there seems to be a, a clear indication that there might be, a, a, you might be able to reverse the immune priming. Well, and, it, it, interestingly enough, you know, uh, one of the things that I found fascinating about COVID um, and, and uh, obesity is that uh, there are now beginning to be uh, published studies showing that treatment of diabetes actually improves outcomes uh, from COVID, which is to me very interesting because we didn't have it uh, uh, that clearly uh, as a signal when we were looking at H1N1. Um, it, the, the data on, on hypertension is very muddy, particularly because of the potential role of ACE inhibitors in the whole thing. Um, but certainly several recent studies have suggested that treatment of diabetes is then uh, uh, reducing the risk of death in, uh, in patients. Um, and so I think, you know, there's plenty of evidence now that, that mitigating uh, the weight gain, um, but also the elements of metabolic syndrome influence then uh, subsequent outcome. Yeah, and to, to, to briefly come back to your question about long-term effects and cross-generational uh, effects, I think it's a very interesting point, and it's really something, um, uh, I think, an opportunity for the research in, in this field, because at this point, we know that a lot of women of childbearing age are obese, as you just, you mentioned the numbers in the beginning, and um, so maternal obesity uh, has been shown to um, uh, actually affect, uh, for example, the incidence of asthma in the offspring. And these are studies done by um, Eric Forno. Um, and uh, when we look at, um, and I come back to the gut microbiome again for a little bit. Um, Can't stay away. <laughs> One of my favorite topics. Um, so obese pregnant women actually have an altered gut microbiome, as you would expect. Um, and um, uh, you can see that actually this gut microbiome is uh, transferred to the offspring. Uh, so they have a, a gut microbiome quite similar to their mother uh, after birth. And um, we also know that maternal obesity has an increased uh, risk for preeclampsia, <laughs> and uh, which is considered a risk factor for intrauterine growth restriction and increased bronchial hyperresponsiveness in childhood. Um, also, 
children born to, to mothers that are obese, and it's then I'm talking mostly about the maternal effects, are um, likely to a more uh, have an, an increased incidence of obesity themselves. Uh, so which then basically starts the whole cascade of what we've been talking about of, of increased risk for, um, for lung diseases and other uh, infections. Um, one interesting study, uh, I think it was about two years ago um, from Dinger et al, showed that early postnatal hyperalimentation, so this is not talking about maternal high fat uh, feeding, but it's uh, during gestation, but it's during lactation. And this was a mouse study and they showed that if you feed uh, dams who are feeding their pups uh, from immediately after birth, a high fat diet, um, there's no change in the weight of the offspring. However, this offspring, the time that they're adults, they have increased airway hyperreactivity. So it's, it's suggestive that there's a role for diet also during lactation and not only gestation um, in how the, the lungs will respond. And so we might be setting and, you know, it might be mechanical, but that, that's un, well, it's unlikely. It's likely a priming of the immune response. But these are very interesting findings. And I think it's good to keep in mind that um, we need to, to really look into the, uh, especially given the interest in the early origins of lung disease, that we really need to look at these early life factors um, and uh, um, uh, including maternal obesity. Well, so we, we move high fat diet to uh, category D uh, drug during lactation. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, all the list of things to avoid in life. <clears throat> well, Absolutely. look. I, I think our, our time is, uh, is up at this point. Um, I, I thank you for uh, participating. It's always a pleasure uh, to talk to you. Um, and I wanna thank uh, all of the listeners for joining us today. Uh, this episode of the Lung Science Podcast was, as always, brought to you by the American Journal of Respiratory Cell and Molecular Biology. If you would like to listen to more episodes of the podcast, please visit atsjournals.org or subscribe to the Lung Science Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.